If you have your Bibles, please join me in Exodus chapter 20. Whenever you begin an in-depth study of the Ten Commandments and you know that it is your heart's desire to give a message to each one of them so that we can unpack them and study them and really understand what they are all about, some of them stand out as challenges. I mean, think about this. In a couple of weeks, a whole Sunday morning on Thou Shalt Not Commit Adultery. That'll be fun, right? I mean, we'll hang out and study that. You think junior church, maybe thou shalt not steal, but we're going to talk about it in here. But also this command stood out to me in verse 7, where the Bible says, as we read, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. That is severe. Any time that we hear the Lord will not hold him guiltless that does this thing, we better understand what this thing is. I can remember, and it's getting further and further into the distant past, when Christy and I knew that we were going to be parents, we immediately began to think about names. We wanted to be super creative with names. I am not certain that anybody really loves their name. How many of you in here just love your name? So glad for your name. There are some that really love their names, but not many. We tried really hard, and I think we did a stellar job, as most of our parenting skills have proven to be. (laughs) We like the names we pick. We think they suit. My name, however, is Christopher Michael Edwards. Incredibly, exceedingly generic. I studied out in the year that I was born... 1976, so long ago, that within the top three names used in 1976, within the top three are Christopher and Michael. You can't be much more generic than that. I thank my parents for that. Christopher Michael Edwards, which means that if you were born in 1976 and given the name Chris, by the time you got to K4 and 5 and 1st and 2nd grade, there were other Chrises in the class with you, and when your last name is Edwards, your last initial is E, and you are in every class, Chris E, and everybody just hears Chrissy, (laughs) and they make fun of you for being Chrissy. It's painful. I'm scarred by it. My wife's name is Christy. Put us together, we are Chris and Christy, and after this many years of marriage, you say, how many? I'm not sure in the moment. I think it's 23 going on, 24. We are Chris and Christy, and every time we introduce ourselves as Chris and Christy, people say, oh, Chris and Christy, and we're tired of that too. So I believe we should go from now moving forward as Duke and Duchess, because that (laughs) stands out. It seems really important to be the Duke and Duchess. Names really are somewhat interchangeable for us. They're labels that we get. I was studying out statistics. I thought it was intriguing that leaping into the top 10 in 2021 are two names, Levi and Asher. You talk about going Old Testament. People are going Old Testament with those names. But this was in a survey 
revealed that 40% of parents decided to skip traditional spelling when choosing their baby's names because spelling matters. Even the tiniest little differences. We put thought into names. Most of us don't like our names. Some people change their names. What are we studying when the Bible says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain? Clearly, his name matters. You know how severe God treated somebody who took his name in vain in the Old Testament. I found an example in the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 24, we're going to read a little story and two men are having a fight together. I'll pick up the story. And the son of an Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel. And this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. They're having a fight. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought him unto Moses. And they put him in ward, that is in prison, that the mind of the Lord might be showed them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp. And let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. Yikes! That's severe punishment. Now every time that I establish a Ten Commandment, and then I read the consequence for failure to uphold the Ten Commandment, I am really glad that I live in the dispensation of grace. I am really thrilled that I know this is not the immediate practice However, what is being communicated is timeless. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was writing to the believers in Ephesus. And I'm not going to take time to unpack all of this, but I want you to grasp the emphasis as he writes this in Ephesians 5. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Those are not becoming of somebody who is a saint, a follower of Christ. Neither filthiness, and get this, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather give thanks. He'll end that by saying, the individual that does these things, the individual that is hallmarked by these things, does not have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's severe. What he is saying then is when God's name is used in vain, this person is declaring that they are not of God. Very serious then, very serious now. And there's an intriguing phrase, the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Guilt and punishment hang over the head of the individual who takes the name of the Lord in vain. That's scary to think about. Now, I love this reality that comes in in Exodus 34, 6. Again, God introducing himself, passes by and proclaims the Lord The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So there is forgiveness available for those who take the name of the Lord in vain. And that's what this commandment clearly states. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You can't do it. The question then is, what's in a name? The names of God are much more than mere labels. They are a declaration of God's identity. 
In fact, for us, a name, as I have established, is merely a label. But to the Hebrew, to the Hebrew mind, and certainly when it comes to God, it was indistinguishable. It was inseparable from the person. When we use the name of God, therefore, we are referring to the essence of his divine being. We are declaring his divinity. I want you to grasp this. God's name reveals his character. When we think of God's character, we, we think of how God has revealed himself to us see, through his words and, and through his titles and scripture and his attributes and his law. We have to grasp his name equals his nature. Let me help you understand this, just using some cross-references within Scripture. In Isaiah 57, 15, Isaiah wrote this, For thus saith the high and lofty, one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. You cannot separate the name of God from his nature. His name is a declaration of his nature. His name is holy. You cannot separate God from holiness. Isaiah also wrote, and I know we use this verse most often around Christmas time in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, all of those are declarations of his character. In Matthew 1.21, the angel delivering the message says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why Jesus? For he shall save his people from their sins. Jump all the way to the book of Revelation, to the end times, and we read this in 1913. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And in John 1, we know that's Jesus, the Word of God. In 1916, we read, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The names of God are declarative of his nature. His name and his nature are inseparable. And all through these early verses in Exodus 20, God is emphasizing this over and again. He has already told Moses, I am that I am. No beginning, no ending. I am not in the process of becoming, and I am not dependent on any outside force. I am that I am. If we were just studying the Bible like students, we would see this repetition back in verse 2. I am the Lord thy God. In verse 5, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. In verse 7, as we read a moment ago, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Over and again, this is emphasized. This is heightened. This is lifted up. We must understand that God's name reveals his character. But not only that. God's name signifies his authority. This is symbolic. But in a symbolic way, I communicate my earthly authority over my children by assigning names to them. Much like my parents ascribed or symbolically communicated earthly authority over me by giving me my name. It is of note that we did not name God. God revealed his name to us. In fact, one of the assignments that God gave Adam back in the book of Genesis was to name the animals. 
And we know that in his naming the animals, it is symbolic of his fulfillment of having dominion over them and of their subjection to him. It is indicative of God's authority over us that he tells us his name. We do not name him. It is also intriguing that man ascribes names and backstories to false gods. And in describing their names and their backstory to those false gods, they shape their character and they shape their reputation and they shape their powers. And in essence, they are communicating that they are authoritarian over those false gods. God was not named by us. He declared his name to us. What's in a name? The revelation of his character and the declaration of his authority over us. And so we grasp that we shouldn't take his name in vain. A little study of that phrase, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain in Hebrew, is interesting. I say this, if I were to woodenly understand that, what I mean is if you just took the Greek in its tense and just spit it back out, it would sound something like this, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for nothingness. Don't take the name of, don't lift it up for vanity. Don't lift it up for nothingness. Take is an interesting word because it communicates a lifting up. Now, in the secular world, this would have had this application. When I went to give testimony, I would put my hand on the Bible and I would swear to tell the truth. I might raise my hand to declare that I am telling the truth. It is the idea of lifting it up as an oath. But not only that, it is also lifting it up when I worship or wherever I speak his name. I am lifting it up. So to lift up God's name like it was something worthless, vain, empty, is profane in the truest sense, because in a way I am declaring that God is worthless. One old writer said this, the purpose of this commandment is God's will that we hallow the majesty of his name. Therefore, it means in brief that we are not to profane his name by treating it contemptuously and irreverently, but we ought to be so disposed in mind and speech that we neither think nor say anything concerning God and his mysteries without reverence and much soberness that in estimating his works, we conceive nothing but what is honorable to him. Don't lift it up in oath or in worship, in vain. And vanity, when it is used in the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, is emptiness, nothingness, futility, no profit, no success. It's wasted. Don't take God or anything that his name expresses about his reality in vain. Don't do it. Now, we're going to help enhance this in a moment to answer the question, are we guilty of failing this? And, and the answer is yes. But we read this in Colossians in the New Testament. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. One of the things, certainly, that sets believers apart from non-believers is our speech. But this message is not merely, and the application of this is not merely profanity. The second part of this verse when he communicates the command is intriguing. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 
He will not hold him guiltless who does this thing. Guiltless. The idea of being guiltless means, again, to be empty. That's intriguing. That it's almost a mirror of vain. To be guiltless means to be clean. To have a clean slate. To be pure. This sin then means that if we do this, God will not hold us guiltless, which means we will not go unpunished. That's a very serious thing. Spurgeon said, any unhallowed use of the divine name is exceedingly sinful. Beware, he wrote, of flippantly saying, O Lord, and such like irreverent speeches. Church people are the worst for it, aren't they? I've been very careful this morning, knowing I was going to preach this message, as people left the first service and were coming into this one, I refused to say, God bless you. Because I'm going to preach on this, and you're going to be like, there's no way you mean that every time that you say it. And you would be correct a thousand times over. I don't mean it. You ever heard somebody say, bless God? God help. Oh, Lord. All of those things. Now, I talked to heaven this morning, and they said that I could have a parenthetical moment in time where I could do all of that with not getting in trouble. So you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying what you do. I'm telling you what you sound like, what you say. Think for just a minute about how flippant we are with this. And then let's just pause for a second and understand that the law is not something that we are bound to. The law is like a school teacher. It's like a mirror that we look in. And when we see a flaw, it it declares unto us our desperate need for a savior. And so whenever I look at the law, I'm clear that I can never uphold all 10 of these dudes. I desperately need a substitute, a savior, Jesus, whose shed blood can cleanse me from sin. And what this means is simply this. If at any point in my 46 years, I have failed and I have taken the name of the Lord in vain. I will not be held guiltless. That means only one slip up in all 46 years and I am doomed for the wages of sin is death. It declares unto me my desperate need for a savior, Jesus, and his shed blood according to God's plan to save me from my sin. Am I guilty of taking the name of the Lord in vain. I've already touched on this. Profanity is usually what we think of. Certainly that's a reality. I'm sure you grasp that context. Using his name without a tone of reference. Pulling his name into something without a reverential attitude where it has no place whatsoever. It is intriguing that the world will also use the name of Jesus, is it not? I don't want to go too far, but it stands out to me that even before other curse words, they'll throw in the word holy. It's like we're touching on all the Trinity whenever we use profanity for whatever reason. Guilt in that regard. God's name is not a slang word. It is someone's name. Certainly profanity is a part of it. What about weightlessness? Trivializing God's name. There is a book. It is called God's Name in Vain. If you're writing a sermon on it, it's good to check out, get a few ideas from it. The writer said this, in truth, there's probably no country in the Western world where people use God's name quite as much, quite as publicly, or for quite as many purposes as we Americans do. The third commandment notwithstanding, he wrote, few candidates for office are able to end their speeches without asking God to bless their audience the nation or the great work that we are undertaking. But everybody is sure that the other side is insincere. If you vote like me and say, God bless America, you actually mean, holy God, 
bless our nation. But if you don't vote like me and you say God bless America, you are a pagan who is using the name of God in vain. That's how all of us think, isn't it? You find an athlete on the television who thanks God after scoring a touchdown because like politicians, they like to think God is on their side. Churches, he wrote, erect huge billboards and take out ads in the paper. God's will is cited as a reason to be for or against anything. God is said not to tolerate poverty or abortion or nuclear weapons. Everybody who wants to change America and everybody who wants not to understands the nation's love affair with God's name, which is why everybody invokes it. And it's true. We have trivialized it and we have cheapened it. And I believe that we as Christ followers need to be careful in the way that we use God's name. We can't use God's name at the drop of a hat just to defend our position. Be very careful when you say something like this. God led me to do that. God told me to do this. This is what God led me to do. Did he really? Because you have broken 16 scriptural principles in carrying that out. Are you sure God led you to do that? God gave me peace about this. We invoke God's name to defend our position. Now, I know God told me to go on vacation. I actually think that's true. And I also, look how lightly I esteemed it. I said I talked to heaven. I was careful, by the way, in how I said that. And I get a parenthetical statement. We trivialize God. Be very careful when you're invoking the name of God as your defense. I also think it's intriguing that we pray, right? We close our prayer. And according to scripture, the model prayer is we pray in the name of Jesus, right? Because what we're saying is I'm not coming boldly to the throne of God the Father who I am praying to by my own righteousness, but I come to you in the name of Jesus. And then when Jesus, before he teaches us to pray the model prayer, says be careful when you pray not to use vain repetition like the religious Pharisees do. And vain repetition with the name of Jesus stamped on the end of it is in a very real way using the name of the Lord in vain. My heart is not in that. I'm just stamping the name of Jesus on some vain repetitious thing that I offer up. Or in the midst of a prayer where I am saying, Father, Lord, Father, God, Lord, Lord, Jesus, over and again, where I am not at all meaning the things that I'm saying. Hypocrisy is part of it. Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22. And he said this, this stands out. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then Jesus Christ, the judge, will look back and say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, which means there are some people who are using the name of Christ in vain, declaring that they are Christians, that they are believers, that they are followers of Christ, when in fact they are not. That also means there are entire ministries and movements which are cloaking their ministry in the name of God and in the name of Christ, and all of it is vanity. All of it is futility. All of it is nothingness, hypocrisy in its most blatant form. We don't recognize his true glory when we come into his presence for worship. I was thinking as we stood there and we sang hymns. Do you know how many hymns I must have sung in my lifetime? I am the son of a pastor and I am a pastor. 
I sing a lot of songs. I hear a whole lot of songs sung. Do you know how many times I have worshiped and lifted up the name of God in a song and my brain has been 7,000 miles away? I mean, truly. How many times I have glazed over passages of scripture or offered up pretty hollow prayers and stamped the name of Jesus on them at the end? Our worship's casual. It can be careless. It can be insincere. Jesus really helps us grasp the hypocrisy level of this when he says in Matthew 15, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, get this, they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Two things, Jesus said, make our worship vain. Make it where we are lifting up his name in vain. One of them is to speak it with our mouths, but not have our hearts. To have our hearts emptied of affection and reverence for God, but still be carrying out the act with our mouths. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. That is ascribing worthlessness to the nature of God. That is stripping authority from God. That is his name. But not only that, he says it is fact that when we use words and statements about God... And we empty them of God's truth and replace them with human opinion. When we teach the tradition of man as though it is the doctrine of God, we have perverted it and we are stripping from God his glory. Hypocrisy, weightlessness, trivialization, profanity. It is astounding how often we fail to uphold God's expectation for us. Now, I want to be so careful because I want to be clear. It is not that we must maintain this commandment in order that we might be saved, but our salvation is revealed in our upholding of this commandment. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. We show out that we love him by keeping his commandments, so no doubt we fail God in this regard often, if only in hypocrisy. But I think it goes beyond hypocrisy to the trivialization and beyond trivialization to profanity, perhaps without even realizing we are profane. Ultimately, we read this in Philippians, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth. Isn't it good to know? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. That really comes to light when we realize in the Old Testament to use the name of the Lord in vain, took the son of an Israelitish woman and an Egyptian man and saw that he was stoned. And God passed that judgment. To realize that the wages of sin is death. To hear the rich young ruler when Jesus asked him about upholding the commandments and he said, I've done all of them. All of them I have done. I certainly haven't. I desperately need a savior that is Jesus. And salvation can only be offered through him and his shed blood. The psalmist also said this. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Do you realize that one of our pursuits in gathering together is just that? That we might magnify his name? 
Do you realize that in the New Testament we are called ambassadors for Christ, which means that we must not only revere his name, but we must reveal his name to the world that is around us. It's one of our purposes for being here. The world knows Jesus through us, his ambassadors. The Great Commission, that's what we call it, the mandate to get the gospel to everybody in the world. Listen, as it is spoken, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It's all about the name of God. And so when we arrive at a simple command, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, I will not hold him guiltless that does this. We realize first our desperate need for a savior and secondarily we realize that as believers we've trivialized this. We esteem it too lightly, our worship is careless, our prayers are empty and we have something to confess. And then the Holy Spirit empowers us as we walk according to the spirit we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh to carry out and meet God's expectations I am so thankful for grace and what God is saying is don't give my name a commonplace position give it a special place I think we've all broken the third commandment all of us are guilty of God's just punishment thankfully we have Christ and for every believer I truly believe we've been woeful in fulfilling and meeting God's expectations for us. Would you please bow your heads just for a moment? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.